Hello and welcome to another instalment of the Evolution Exchange podcast. Today I'm joined with Sophie, Niels and Anya to discuss passionate workforces and their impact on startups. So as usual, what we'll do is we'll do a round of introductions first. So Sophie, would you like to start? Of course. Hi, so I'm Sophie. I'm the head of design at World Favor, and we aim at making sustainable business the mainstream by connecting companies for easily sharing and accessing ESG data. And before joining World Favor, I was a consultant for many years. I've worked with a lot of different companies in the forefront of tech. I'm an engineer and I started my career as a BI developer and then kind of moved over to UX design and then finding my niche within growth. And that is what I love. And also the reason for me kind of joining World Favor because we're on a really kind of fun growth journey as of now. So really excited to be here. Perfect. Nils, would you like to go next? Sure. My name is Nils uh, Paulson. I'm a user researcher at Gimme, working on how to empower kids with better, better financial skills, <clears throat> like a, an allowance in the in the mobile phone. And since I'm also personally in the middle of parenting a small kid's life, I feel strongly for this problem space that our users are in. Uh, I would say my passion is to make people heard. Uh, previously, I did that in the profession of, of uh, being a journalist, uh, but now I'm doing it from a from a different angle, so to say. Amazing. And then, Anya, last but by no means least, would you like to introduce yourself? So, hi. Uh, my name is Anja. I'm the COO and one of the co-founders of Air Försäkring. Um, so I've been in the insurance and reinsurance industry for um, a very long time and uh, had the opportunity to join uh, starting up an insurance company. Uh, and I would say that my passion uh, with work is to actually just... Um, deliver security at the end and safety to the end customer. The insurance is such an important part of uh, our society that you might not even think of a daily basis. Amazing. Well, there's some great introductions. Um, and I definitely think this is going to be a really fun podcast. Hi, everyone. This is Chris Bennett here, the Knowledge Managing Director here at Evolution. We're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast. So now what we'll do is we'll pass it over to you guys to speak about the questions that you have pre-prepared. Um, Nils, would you like to kick us off and introduce yours? <laughs> sure. So passion is the word uh, today. It's, uh, yeah, I, I don't agree. It's really important. Uh, what I would like to focus on and my question is, how can you keep a sustainable, passionate workforce? That is, how do you support passionate people in smaller startups in order to make them last longer in the company? Because uh, I think there is a problem here that, that passionate people uh, 
maybe get burnt out or get they they don't uh, they can't last that long as they they would need to. I actually heard today uh, in the radio I heard about a photographer working at Dagens Nyheter here in Stockholm where I live, Alexander Mahmoud. He has written a book about his life at, at work. He loves work. He loves it so much so he doesn't feel the pain that it gives him when he works too much. That's, that seems to be a personal trait within him. He works very much his skilled, it's good for the, the company, but it results in, it comes with an expense. Uh, so that is kind of, could be one problem uh, for those people. I also uh, had colleagues previously wanting to kind of chip in on the passion of the company or the purpose or so, but did not have the work-life balance. And, and uh, then the consequence came with that. Uh, third experience I have, like a person, passionate people wanted quicker rewards, kind of they might be more extrovert and get impatient when working in startups and, and a startup might not succeed in the first year. So how, what would make me, what would make that person stay in the company and contribute in the long run? So I, I'm sorry to interrupt you because I think it's so interesting. I know that you're not done yet and then you could just come back, but do. I, just about the work-life balance and how we think about it and you know and this goes from everything from investors that we speak to it's it's i think it's kind of an old truth that you're supposed to be this passionate about your work and it's like also how, how there are less female entrepreneurs entrepreneurs in general because i got the comment yeah but when you have kids you can't be a hundred percent delegated or devoted to what you're doing. And I think that's wrong because we are all actually running a marathon. If a startup succeeds in the first two, three years, it's fantastic. But we're not in a sprint. So for us to actually maybe look back at our life in general, I think we need both sides. So work-life balance is definitely important. It's just maybe it's not how we've been living uh, and we just need to change that view uh, of, of of how we have it right now. I'm oh, sorry for that short. Uh... <laughs> yeah, but do you mean that changed the work, the view of work-life balance? That like uh, when you hire people to a startup, are you saying that maybe you should not expect this? This is kind of company where this is an issue, uh, or how are you? How I are think you that it? we should more say that we actually want you to also have something else to think about. So you should not only focus on work. But I think that's the, I see myself as the younger generation still, even if uh, I might not be. But I think before the truth was that you were actually meant to work and then you might have a drink with your friends in the evening, but then you maybe go home and still do some emails or do something else. I really think that that is changing and we just need to allow the change and also embrace it. Because um, I read an article in the end the other day that the younger generation are actually more focused on maybe just working 80% and still doing something else with on their spare time and having a day off in the middle of the week, etc. This, when I went out of university, this was not what you were expected to do. You wanted to go and be a management consultant or you wanted to be a lawyer and you were supposed to work at least 12 hours a day, if not more, to reach the goals and in your career. 
And I really hope that we should change the view of the whole society in, in some sense, and not only for startups, but in general. Yeah, I, I totally agree. It would be, would be much more healthier. Uh, one problem I see in, in a startup is that you come in and kind of, you have the expectation of now, like now we're running, we're going to run fast and try to be as good as possible. But we, then we kind of, we run this vertical race or a math marathon, but we forget this, this horizontal perspective of a uh, person to person. Like, uh, I mean, all these issues you have as a person could be work-life balance. It could be different things coming into company. Uh, it might be an onboarding where you, where you are heard or you listen to, but then there is this vertical race, uh, and which I feel has a risk of, of burning out people and suddenly a very important person quits and you don't know why mm. because it, they just, uh, they weren't heard or it wasn't time for mentorship or it wasn't time for uh, a manager to have these talks or that structure. Yeah. Oh, I think you're touching upon so uh, many interesting topics. I mean, in regards to the to the work-life balance and the, that discussion, um, I mean, it's all about also having role models and also understanding like your role within the company and and what you what you do, and uh, that also impact what other people will do, especially like when you're quite senior and you've been uh, in the company a while. So that sets kind of precedence. I think that is also really really important. Um, thing but then also within startup you know it's gonna be so many things that you have to work on but it doesn't mean that you can put a hundred percent in all of that like it it's really about you know prioritizing and I think here at World Favor we we look at that a lot like uh, both you know me and my role as a manager but with uh, my colleagues like figuring out okay um, is it so that you have uh, too many things or is it basically that you expect too much of yourself in all of these different things so you still need to have uh, a priority in that regards to making sure like okay this is the the top thing that uh, this is where we really really need to focus the other things put in like 50 percent 30 percent and be really clear in that prioritization and that can shift you know on a weekly basis on a daily basis even and being flexible with that. So um, I think that is a really, really important kind of aspect here. And I think, um, I mean, as manager, you have that kind of um, expectation on you to kind of support uh, um, yeah, your peers in that uh, in a good way. And that also comes back to trust. So you want people to, to trust <laughs> or to, to share those types of frustrations, right? But it's also very usually very, um, uh, like you can really tell when someone has a bit too much on their plate or a bit too much, um, or like not figured out the priority of things. Yes. But living in a, in a or st being in a part of a the startup also is, it means that you kind of live in constant change. Yeah. You, you never know. So, and, and people do have sometimes issues with understanding that like, this is changing, living in a constant changing environment, you're difficult to, what should I actually prioritize this week? And it should, you need a good dialogue, you need trust and you need to have a, you know, a good communication within the team. And 
understand. That's not that easy. Yeah, I think uh, one pro problem is to rely too much on that the kind of the manager is going to communicate changes to you or that you uh, are going to have that dialogue with the manager around things. But often the manager has too much to do. So kind of the person-to-person -person thing uh, it's is, is, is a low priority in a larger company, I, I would say, because things can change so much. You can invest energy in something that just suddenly it's... Uh, it's no more there on the agenda. It's it's far down in the roadmap, and your whole passion of of the the month goes down, and mm -hmm. you need to pick that up within the the employee in some way. Yeah, of course. I think everyone should kind of be attentive to that, right? That's what I meant. Like we need to to make sure that we understand. Okay, what should we react to in that sense? Because sometimes, kind of what you mentioned, like some people don't even realize that they have too much or or um, uh, that, yeah, they, um, they're a bit on the verge of burning out, for example. So everyone kind of needs to, to understand what that means and also kind of feeling uh, empowered to kind of act on that. It doesn't matter if it's your manager. You should definitely not just expect your manager to uh, to be able to kind of catch that at all times maybe it's it would be good but uh, yeah that's definitely got not, not going to work in like the long run so everyone kind of helping out in that i think is is really really important um perfect um well just so that we can make sure we get around to everyone anya can we move on to your question of course um yeah so as i mentioned uh, maybe in the beginning we are a startup that have been growing or Rather, I would call us a startup. We are much more of a scale-up now. Um, and we've been building a team from just a couple of people in 2019 to way over 30 as we are today. And you know, what I think, what I would like to discuss is actually how we're going to grow this team, keeping the values, even if we live in this constant change, keeping the motivation, but still also the passion that you get when you hire people into uh, a startup company and given that that you know this is how should we grow what should we think of when we're growing and we are we're an insurance company we are a startup and we are also a tech company how do we attract the right competence and still have uh, and keep the edi set the edi view in good perspective because we have been struggling with that a lot to be fair and when you look at gender equality in our company, et cetera, it doesn't look the way that we would like it to look. And we do try to make a change, but we're struggling. So I'm very curious how you have been handling that. Yeah, should I should I start maybe? Um, I mean, uh, right now I'm I'm building out my my own design team, which has been really really fun. Uh, but diversity has definitely been like a top priority. I think. Uh, from my point of view, it's been a lot about understanding my own kind of bias and what I come from uh, in terms of, you know, socioeconomic status and education level, etc. To kind of really understand that, what you come in, come in with in the, in the interview process. And we haven't really had recruiters uh, either in like the early days that we've been in. It's been, you know, like um, doing the recruitment yourself. So definitely that but since also us being a sustainability company that has been kind of you know emphasized within it's in our company values um 
and something that we we work a lot with. And I think it's interesting. I mean, uh, company wide uh, at World Favor, we have a really good. We are we're fifty three percent women, but if we zoom in on certain departments, definitely it's going to be um, less diverse in that in that regards. So I think that is definitely a challenge, and and especially in in tech, I would say, uh, recruiting uh, women in tech uh, is is um, is hard. Yeah. yeah, I would say that for both, when we look just at the applicants we get, we haven't used that much uh, recruitment firms either. Mm. But all of the applications, or a lot of them, um, both in tech and also in sales, are they are very similar. Of course, they yeah. have different experiences, etc. But as you look at the person, just the age, gender, race, etc., they they kind of tick all the same boxes, mm-hmm. uh, and that's also where you should start, yeah, because you need to. You're a small company, so you can't really not take the one that you think has the best experience, the best profile, the right education, etc. But how do you then, when are you actually able to choose and how should you get the really, the ones that will diversify your team with the mm-hmm. same experience? We've worked with a company also to to make it easier for com- for people to come from abroad uh, to be employed in, in Sweden. So that has helped, uh, I would say, uh, in order to get more of a diverse teams into ethnicity. Uh, but um, in terms of of uh, equality or equity, like um, I think it's about there is a shift going on in like if looking at the, the education and there's more women in in tech, for example, studying technical, um, getting a technical education. So being closer also to the to the university and having a presence at the the right places is also kind of essential, I would say. Uh, to kind of spurring that or putting, yeah, inspiring them at an early stage to kind of, um, yeah, join your company, etc. I have been part of many recruitment processes so far. Uh, last year, last years I've been uh, rather searching for jobs, but now we have actually started in the process uh, recruiting the colleague. And when I look into that list of applicants and that, I mean, looking at the, the program where we collect them. And so it feels so hard to know, uh, how to filter, how to screen, mm. uh, what to look at first, what not to look at first. Uh, I tried, I, I said, I, I can't look at the, uh, the image. I don't want to see the image that, that will affect me too much. Uh, the name is kind of often the first one you see. And when I see a list of 10 names and one name I think I might recognize from someone I knew from before pops out in my head first. I see that first. I, I, I recognize these these kind of biases or things that will affect my decision. And, uh, and me recognize it is the start. I know it, it, will, it will be a problem. Uh, but in some way, trying to make it... Uh, um, I mean, it, to rely, maybe rely on a test mainly, or just rely on the CV and not uh, reading a cover letter or, at all, or uh, trying to hide the, I don't know how, but I need to do something structural to change this when I, when I see this, uh, the filtering that I'm doing in my head, like my kind of 
thoughts around what kind of person this is. Yeah, let me let me jump in because that is what we do. We are by definition a recruitment company. So yeah, all of these troubles, yeah, completely get them. Um, and I guess I mean to poach us a little bit. Um, we do that screening for you, so then we kind of get rid of one layer of bias because we're not Swedish. So we see a very stereotypical Swedish name of someone you think you might know. I don't know it. So um, we were able to get rid of that just by process of elimination. Um, But one thing we do when we hire people for evolution, so not even to give them to other companies, is we write down a list of values of people that we are looking for. And then when you look at a profile, you can kind of ignore the top, like, my name is Gemma, I live in in the UK, I am a designer. Um, You can kind of ignore that and you can go, okay, so have they talked about their experience that's more than two years? Yes. Have they got the educational requirement we need for this role? Yes. Have they worked with a team before? Yes. And then you can kind of tick the box. And as soon as they ticked three boxes, you've kind of... you don't care who they are anymore. You don't care. Um, but another thing we would say is if you are trying to promote a certain type of person, um, that is the correct way to say it. So if you're looking for someone who's going to complement the biases you have and make your company more diverse, have someone there in that interview process who represents that kind of way of living. Um, so one thing we, I am a very, um, organized, controlling, I will use the word controlling while it's about myself. Um, I like things to be processed. Um, and when we interview, I make sure there's somebody there who is not like me, someone who is, um, a little bit more go with the flow. We'll do what they want when they want, and they still get the same results, but they do it a different way. And that way in the interview, they're not kind of sat there thinking, okay, I can't work for this company because they don't represent me they're able to see that you are welcoming to all. Um, so even if they don't necessarily work at your company and they're a colleague somewhere else, maybe get them involved and be like, I can, I can, you know, say that this company does do this. And that's one way we've worked. We found work anyway. Yeah, I, I see that and I think it's really interesting. But doesn't it start earlier? Doesn't it start already in the job application or doesn't it start in the job ad that you're posting as a company and maybe on your web page how do you actually attract how do you find the ones that are not you know because i know what i will get when i post it on our linkedin or when i post it on the normal swedish uh, pages when i'm going to look for someone i know what kind of profiles i will get and that's what i would like to broaden Hmm. yeah um take remote candidates take people who aren't necessarily in Sweden. Um, it's a risky one. I think the level of communication isn't always there um, just because they're not physically with you. But that's one way to get a different group of candidates. I think in Sweden, um, this is very generalized, but I think only 20% of developers are female and the rest is male. So when you, I mean, as recruitment firms, we have access to all this data. So we can see that. So when we get someone coming up to me going, I want someone with 10 years experience who is a female who has worked for these set of companies and this. I'm able to show them and be like, okay, so you're looking for a 0.0005 individual. Like, where, where are you planning on finding them? Because we don't know them. Um, and I think it's just kind of embracing that a little bit more of, okay, like Sophie said, get the get in the, the school system, get that approach, but maybe broaden your search. 
you might find them a little bit more. I think one risk can be that you you decide in the company that you want to have a diverse uh, staff, but you're not convinced about it. It's diversity is something you should have because someone says you should have diversity and and equality. And so, but if you start with defining all the benefits by having diversity, for example, then you can get more motivated to to walk the extra mile in the recruitment. And I've I've been in that position that I felt like uh, diversity would that benefit the company or the company I worked with uh, a few years ago. Uh, I wouldn't say I, I thought about that that would be really, really good, but in hindsight, I I realized I was in a group that was so homogeneous and that put a lot of constraints on myself. I, I was kind of following the flow uh, and doing kind of being a, a person in the flow and not reflecting that much. I didn't have that large space for myself that that uh, I now have felt that in a diverse organization with different ages, different ethnicity or gender or uh, all the individuals can have more, uh, I don't know, mental freedom or or, or feeling of, of uh, uh, that we are different and we can uh, we can then be yeah doing better performance or, or so that thing to be kind of convinced about diversity is uh, i think that's that's a good start yeah i think that's really important else i would really just like like to second that it, you need to have it has to be a part of the company and it just has to be very clear that this is important for us so we see why it shouldn't be the ESG reporting tick a box because someone is asking us. This needs to be part of what you actually really feel and want to do. Yeah, and maybe if you can can translate it into numbers, uh, then the CFO will will be on board as well. Like with sustainability, that that's the thing there that uh, these heads of sustainability have been just working with with Fluff for for some years, but now it starts starts to be become very clear that this is really beneficial financially for companies if you can reduce the waste or whatever. Yeah, definitely. Perfect. Well, just to move on then to our final question, Sophie, could you give us a bit of an introduction? Of course. I think uh, my question kind of touches upon the stuff that we've, we've talked about prior as well. But I want to kind of uh, get your thoughts on how to kind of channel the passion on the right things. So for me, that comes with, you know, having a very strong, you know, vision and mission, making sure that everyone's kind of aligned on that. Uh, uh, but we recently started also with, you know, uh, an o implementing OKRs. I don't know if you work with those. Uh, at World Behavior, and I came in with, I've worked with them before in, in many companies, and I had a lot of bias around them. Um, like, does it really work, et cetera? And how is it defined and how do we, how do we create like a good, good vibe around that? But uh, now I feel like um, I can, I can see a lot of parallels between this and working with, you know, opportunity mapping and making sure that we have like a really clear, um, you know, metric that we're trying to improve so within design that's it's like or especially within within growth design making sure that that's like really really clear and knowing like what your hypotheses are in order to be able to act on them um i think that 
can be quite a good approach. But I would love to hear like how how you do it. How do you really channel the passion on the right things? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I I have experienced uh, when uh, when we had we've had a passion and a direction for doing doing something with the fine team, uh, but then. Uh, there comes a, a pivot, a change, a change in priorities in the company. So <clears throat> all the work that you put into it uh, is just put on hold or, or placed in a box somewhere, and that's that's draining, of course. Uh, I don't know. I, I think that's just the reality in a startup that you need to deal with that thing. But but uh, I mean, chal- chal- channeling passion towards a vision and a mission is that's. It's very high level. You often I I feel I need something a bit closer to the work I'm doing, but there is also the higher risk of this will be a change in priority. And and why did that happen to me this time? Will do I risk placing my passion into something that will be down prioritized again next month and so on? It's uh, yeah, this how how to communicate changes in priorities is uh, is delicate, and but you need to be transparent. I think it's yeah, transparency can be solving many things, but in the startup you 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 need to invite people pretty early in the process. I think so that work is not done in vain. Yeah, and uh, I very much agree with that because also in such a company that we are right now uh, doing insurance. We have everything from claims handle. Of course, we have backend developers. We have front-end developers. We have sales, etc., uh, etc. Et and all of them have different passions. Uh, so also just trying to both be, as a team, trying to reach the same, be on the same path and reaching the same goals together is one way of just trying to keep keep everyone there because and. But I, what I think is really important is for each and every individual to feel that they are actually contributing to the growth of the company. Whatever they do will actually reflect where we are heading. And that is a way, I think, of keeping the passion. But that's also, as Neil said, a way when you change the direction a bit. Like, oh, so I've been doing this. It, wasn't it valuable? Was it the wrong thing? Did I spend all of my time on something that we're not doing anymore? So communication and need to take time to actually communicate, even if if a lot of people have way too much to do in a startup. Mm, nice. I mean, uh, now my my data nerdy side is going to come in, but like, I feel like um, working with with the actual data of, of what it is that you're trying to improve if it's uh, in a certain phase, like, okay, we need to increase the win rate or we need to work with that and kind of, you know, what does this mean for our design team or what does that mean for sales and what does that mean? Um, Having like a really good process of kind of breaking that down uh, to make sure that the metrics that you're trying to drive, that you actually can impact them and that they also aggregate up, right? Uh, I would say it's a a key factor but that can also be really tricky to kind of nail down uh, but I'm thinking like in regards to the shifting focus obviously if we have a big gap somewhere we really need to improve that it's still kind of tied into the overarching metric of we're gonna go here like we're gonna 
we're gonna increase the company by X or we're gonna have this many users in. I mean, have you experienced that that shifts a lot? Because uh, I'd see those types of, you know, directions are quite uh, fixed um, for that period of time. Now maybe, uh, you know, we're gonna grow, we should have, uh, what, what kind of claims ratio are we targeting, etc. Mm. These things are definitely in broad um, the same, but for us, it's like, which country will we enter the next? Are mm. we changing the line of business? Um, how are we doing? Will we keep our um, our own websites in-house or will we outsource that? And all of those uh, things, because of course we have, majority of our team is an in-house team, but there are still a lot of functions that we use that are outsourced. And mm. just finding a s stability in the company where everyone feels the passion or a part of it and look at it are in it for the long run because when you also are a part of a scale-up startup you live in the change they mentioned earlier uh, but you still as a person and as an individual you also need stability so finding a balance between where are we heading what are we changing uh, and we will be here you're an individual you're a person that is important to us and you're not just one, um, yeah, one player in a large group that we don't care about. You're actually also a person. So no, I, I think it's important to find the right balance between between them and mm. focus on on the humble and kind side of what people actually need. Yeah, and agility on the how. Then I guess. I think it's important to to work with how how. Happy. Our our colleagues, employees, uh, can define their passion. Many come into a company and want to follow a leader. For example, a founder that is very communicative or inspiring, uh, engaging, and you you follow that person a while, but his his or her uh, passion will not kind of be enough for yourself. After a while, you need your own definition and. Mm -hmm. uh, that is something you might have to find out yourself. But if you have a, if you have like some way, a, a, a way to help employees to to strengthen their passion or identifying their passion, uh, like for me, I I was working as a journalist with kind of yeah a passion or or, or wish to to meet people or talk to people, make people heard. Uh, but I, I hadn't defined that that well to myself at that time, I would say. I, I came in with the, with the view of that journalism is that in every day you work, you will, will have that uh, payback, so, you say, so to say. But then after a while, I, I realized that many parts of journalism is not that. It's, it's just uh, kind of a, the, the view from the outside that that is the, the idealistic view was uh, was not for real, and uh, that you kind of you're every day you're helping people or you're bringing people's perspective or you're you're changing the power uh, or you're, you're asking politicians or par people in power about things. It, it was very fragile that view when you came in the inside. It was was more about trying to to work towards a metric on the dashboard uh, pretty often. And that kind of uh, reduced my passion for for the work, uh, and I would have had to define 
other goals for me uh, along the way. Uh, but it, uh, I wasn't, I don't know. I didn't do it to myself. I, I wasn't inspired to do it uh, from from a manager or so. Perfect. Well, does anybody have any last thoughts or opinions before we wrap up? No. No. I think it was a really interesting discussion. It was a pleasure to, to speaking to all of you. The same. Perfect. Yeah. Well, it has been a really good, it's been a very fast hour. Um, I really enjoyed listening to what you all had to say and definitely learned something new. Um, so thank you to everyone for listening and thank you to Nils, Anya and Sophie for sharing your excellent thoughts. I hope you got something valuable out of this too. Still so, with it. Nice yeah, to be here. Thank you so much.